I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Check it out. Boxed.com is a sponsor of Rebel Radio, and it lets you stock up on all the household items you need and save time and money. That's boxed.com. You never have to waste half your Saturday again at a warehouse club, at the grocery store, whatever, fighting for parking, waiting in line, all that stuff. That's over. Go to box.com. You can order the bulk items that you use every day. Toilet paper, paper towels, snacks, diapers. I don't know what you use. That's, that's none of my business. That's your business. But you'll get them at low prices. You can order at any time of day from your couch, from your phone. It doesn't matter where you are. And there's no annual membership fee. And uh, they even send samples, free samples of items for you to check out. The best part because you listen to Rebel Radio, you get 20% off. All my listeners get free shipping on their first order and 20% off at box.com. Enter the promo code REBEL. That's B-O-X-E-D.com, promo code REBEL, box.com. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh -huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? It's Josh Levine, your host of Rebel Radio. Welcome back. This is going to be our sexy episode. Just kidding. All our episodes are sexy. Hey, so today my guest is Amanda, the founder of Arsenic TV, Arsenic Magazine, Arsenic on Snapchat, Arsenic everywhere. If you're not familiar, it is, uh, they're blowing up on Snapchat, lots of pictures and videos of beautiful women. And uh, Amanda's gonna come in and tell us how she's building this incredible business, this new publishing model, really um, founded on the idea of giving creative control to her talent and just being really grassroots. They launched this thing kind of as a, just an experiment. Nobody was getting paid. They had no website. She was really just emailing photos out to people and now they've blown up. And like I said, they're the, the biggest channel on Snapchat. 
Really cool business, um, community driven, crowdsourced, crowd curated for anybody that's interested in building community and working with your crowd. She's the best at it and she's gonna tell you how she does it. Couple secrets, number one is feed people. She's gonna tell you how she does that. And number two is ask people what they want. And she's got some really smart lessons that we can all learn from there. So good stuff coming up. I hope you enjoy it. Right after our EDM.com track of the week. For her, you'll be waiting all night. But I know the shit that you like. Said that don't have to try. When I kick in, you can't deny it. Baby, I'll be amused to pull you through. Who would I know? Who would I know? Uh, I'll be the one you won't judge. Have you addicted to us? Do you fool with Yes, that was YAS with a track called Muse, our EDM.com track of the week. That's on Lavish. Go to soundcloud.com slash lavish for more just like that. And now check out my interview with Amanda from Arsenic TV. That's good. We love that. Yeah, I mean, I hate when I have like you know I have guests that are significantly younger, and then I say stuff. And I'm like, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Right? It happens to me every day. Does it? Our well, I'm sure. Yeah, is, yeah. You know, most of our team, Billy right. and I, are almost the same age. Uh, we, our team, is mostly early twenties. Yeah. And I didn't understand generation gap until then, and I'm like, oh, there's really a set of things that you have no, no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me feel old. Yeah. Yeah, especially like the movies and music and yeah, that, like how that do you stuff. like um, something that was such a big part of my childhood that it's not like they don't dig it. They don't. Even, they don't know. They don't know what it is. Yeah, I'm like, how can that be? And it, I think that's weird too, not to pick on James because he's young, but um, well, we can pick no, on James. Wasn't, wasn't he looks tough. James actually is. He's he's more knowledgeable than his than his guy. contemporaries. I like that. Yeah, yeah. but but I feel like we <laughs> we knew our parents' stuff. I agree. Do you know we what I mean? Like we knew lot. about the sound of music and the, you know, I don't believe man from uncle, whatever those stupid agreed. things. Are. I believe that we had a better idea of other generations things than. Well, this maybe it's just because there was less choice, right? Like we had yeah, to watch. Fair. That's fair. We had to watch shows from the '60s because that's what was on TV. That I think that's probably really, really true. Because yeah. I mean, I, I remember, you know, when cable was a thing and right. a new thing. Yeah, yeah, of course. So you really, you really were limited yeah. for a while. Did you have on TV? No. Did you ever see that one? No. So that was the there's a documentary recently that was the first cable channel. So it was and what there was there was a set top box that had a key and and he just turned it on. Okay, that's amazing. And that's so on like on TV. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's yeah, that's yeah. kind of awesome. I'm yeah. going to check that out. And so it was one channel and it was like mostly like softcore porn at night and then they would have a couple movies. Movies during the day? Yeah. That's we've been spending a lot of time lately talking about um, about cable and about uh, I found this book. It was recommended to me. It's not a brand new book called um, I Want My MTV oh, yeah. about 
MTV starting on cable. Mm -hmm. And so cable was new. Right. No one had ever heard anything. I mean, you know, people didn't even know what music videos were. Yeah. And I read it and I loved it and I gave it to my business partner because I think there's a lot of things that are sort of analogous of what's happening in social media yeah. now to what was yeah. happening in cable, you know, 20, 25 years ago. So Absolutely. we've been talking a lot about cable. I'll have to check out on TV. Oh, yeah. It's a trip. Yeah. It sounds really cool. It's a trip. Um, so if you would, kind of take me back to the beginning. I want to know how you how you got started. I know your background is, is really interesting. I'm fascinated with arsenic. Um, we almost got to work together, yes. which I was really bummed. Yes, hopefully sometime. I'm not, I'm sure not willing to say soon. that it won't ever happen. No, no, I'm sure it will. Um, but yeah, we were excited as yeah. well. Um, so we'll have to find some, something, some yeah. other way to get in trouble together. Absolutely. Um, so how'd you come to this business? So it started out as a, as a passion project. Uh, my background is film production. Mm -hmm. I was working as an independent producer. My business partner at the time was an agent at CAA. Mm -hmm. and we'd been friends for probably a decade. Mm. I found that as my career was progressing in film, I was on set less and less. I was setting up bigger projects, right. which made them harder to kind of get into production. And I'm not a producer who particularly liked the sort of wheeling and dealing Hollywood bullshit. Yeah. Um, I like to be on set. I like collaborating with people. I like the creative aspect of working with other creative people, mm -hmm. uh, usually who are far more creative than me. I'm much more of like just a find really talented people and stick them together uh, is something that I think that I like to do. And I, I missed it. And so okay. I was looking for a way to be able to get myself back to set that I thought would be both um, inexpensive and relatively easy to do on the weekends mm -hmm. because I wasn't, at that time, I wasn't looking to give up my film business sure. career. Um, and I had this idea that I could do some still photo shoots on the weekend. And in the digital age, that would be all but free. And surely there were a lot of other creative people in L.A. who might like to do something like that. Yeah. And um, that was always meant to be. I put together the first shoot and I got on set. And I was surprised to find something out that in hindsight, it's silly that I had never thought about. <laughs> but I had never really thought about, um, in, especially in the commercial photography world, sort of different different roles. Coming out of film, particularly coming out of independent film, people are really, really collaborative. And certainly there is a hierarchy, but oftentimes you're all sort of working together to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. In commercial photography, there is a very distinct difference between talent and um, sort of, you know, the art director, creative director, sure. you know, the, the people controlling the shoot. And oftentimes it's controlled by men. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of art directors and creative directors and a lot of times, you know, the, the client representative is male, though not always. And But there was this very much this sort of idea that was still going on that felt really archaic to me. It felt like we had gone back to 1950, that the talent, who were often women, were really, their purpose was to be there and be pretty right. and be seen and not be heard. They're props. Exactly. They're living, breathing props. Mm -hmm. And I, I was shocked to find this out, that, that this was still happening. And so on this first photo shoot, I started talking to a lot of the models and I was like, well, wait, what do you mean you don't, you know, you don't want to be a part of sort of the creative conversation? They're like, oh, no, no, we don't do that. And I'm like, well, you don't do that because you can't or you don't want to. Yeah. And I started to find out that most of them wanted to have some impact, wanted to have a say. They just didn't feel like that, that they had a right to have a say, that it sort of wasn't, it just wasn't done. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, what if we inverted this paradigm? And since this was, you know, something I was sort of doing um, just for fun. Yeah. Why not have a little bit of an experiment and see what happened if we allowed the models to remain the talent and still be sort of the focal point of the images, but also let them really control the images and sort of art direct their own photo shoot. 
And that was kind of the start. That's cool. And it quickly kind of took off. I mean, there's a lot of people who want to have a creative say. I mean, why wouldn't you want to sort of be part of the process? And yeah. so they would tell their friends who would tell their friends. And pretty quickly, we were shooting multiple times a month. Mm -hmm. People were, lots of people were reaching out to sort of be a part of it and to shoot. Um, and it kind of started to spread through word of mouth. I mean, at the time, I had no distribution. And by, no, I mean, I didn't have a, I was a, person without my own Instagram or Facebook, much less a company Instagram or Facebook. I yeah. mean, there was no company. I was yeah. just emailing people the pictures. Neat. And um, when did you realize that you were onto something? So, I mean, a couple things happened. <clears throat> the clue that there was anything else was like the first sort of inkling was I was at dinner with Billy um, and I had I had looped him into this project by hitting him up and saying, I want to do some photo shoots. Can I use your house? He had mm -hmm. this really cool house up Laurel Canyon that, I mean, as far as we know, no rock star ever lived there, but it looked right. like a place that Jim Morrison could have ODed. I mean, it just had that vibe. Yeah. And uh, and he was like, of course, you know, we'd been friends for a long time. And he's like, here are the keys. Come and go as you please. Do whatever you want. And so he had been very, you know, he'd been in and out and around what we were doing. Mm -hmm. um, and he and I went to dinner and he was asking me how it was going. And I am very type A. So I had a film production company that had a name and I decided to name this, even though it didn't was not a company and wasn't anything more than just this idea. Mm -hmm. I wanted to at least keep them sort of separate in separate buckets. And so I was calling it arsenic. Yeah. And he was like, well, how's that arsenic thing going? And uh, we were at dinner and uh, um, one of the servers walked by and she heard him ask the question and she stopped. She turned around and she looked me dead in the eye and she's like, wait a second, you're arsenic? And this is probably like four or five months in, but I was completely blown away. I had yeah. been in the film business. I never in my life had somebody know something that I was working on without there being, you know, any sort of publicity sure. or, or sort of, you know, marketing machine behind it. And I'm like, wait, how do you know what arsenic is? And she's yeah. like... Are you kidding? Everybody knows. Obviously, she met everybody in a certain set of people, but it still like it completely floored me. And it was yeah. sort of the moment that I thought, well, wait a second, maybe there's something here. Um, and that was the first idea, sort of thought. And I and I thought I was a genius when I suggested to Billy that we start a print magazine. Cool. Um, which he was it's like, whoa, 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 yeah, exactly. He's like, whoa, slow your all. That's maybe not what you want to do. Yeah. I'm super stubborn. So the more he was like saying no, the more I was digging my heels and saying, well, I want to do something. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was sort of the first time we started thinking about like, what could it look like? What would a magazine look like in 2016? Yeah. Um, and we don't really even consider ourselves a magazine anymore. But but the kernel of what became Arsic came out of the conversation of like, okay, maybe print isn't the way to go, but, mm -hmm. but what would make sense? And how could sure. we use platforms that are available and things like that? Yeah, so explain for anyone who's, you know, been hiding and not familiar with Arsenic, but because um, it's called Arsenic Magazine, or at least... The Instagram is called Arsenic Magazine. Right. The Snapchat But it's is not called, a magazine. It's not. No, it's not at all. And and I think that as we as we continue to grow, even the idea of it being a magazine will become less and less a piece of it. Mm -hmm. But... Um, but we started out calling that, and, and partly in the idea of, like, we wanted to share our work and other people's work mm -hmm. um, with people and, and in a visual way. And in a lot of ways, I think that's a lot of what a magazine is. Um, and at the time, we weren't looking at video, so in still right. images. So I think that's where the idea of magazine kind of stemmed from. Mm -hmm. um, but, but what is Arsenic is really, it's a... I would say it's an, sort of an innovative uh, medium company mm -hmm. that's both crowdsourced and crowd curated. Um, we have a saying, you know, around the office, we sort of believe that the, the crowd is the company and everything we do sort of stems from that core right. idea. Yeah. Uh, and we obviously we sit on uh, other social media platforms, uh, Snapchat being the biggest. We're the biggest brand on Snapchat right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, you read all the press and the, they're calling you the new Playboy or the new Maxim. And I think like I understand why 
they say that, but I think that sort of does a disservice. Like, I think I agree. I do understand why. I think it's going to become such a small piece of what we are, big picture. But I also think even today, I think what we're about and what we're trying to say and do is 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 very different than what Maxim and Playboy set out to do in their heyday. Well, I, yeah, and, and I think you know, obviously they they faced very different challenges and different, you know, they lived in different times, right? But but you know, I, I come from print publishing originally myself, and I've seen how difficult it's been for traditional publishers to sort of adapt to this new world, right? And I think it's maybe fair to say that that's impossible. That it is someone like you that's going to come along and not think about any of the stuff that those companies are sort of uh, weighted down with and just come up with new ideas. You know, I mean, it's uh, I think it's always hard to be the, you know, innovative. There's an argument that that Polaroid should have come up with Instagram, right? right. Sure. It's always hard for the person yeah. on the on the inside to come up with the the disruptive idea. Yeah. Um, and so you know i don't i don't throw stones at, at at legacy media i think mm-hmm. what they what they have done and built is is remarkable but i agree i think it's really hard when you're when you're in in control of that kind of ship to try to pivot and do something so different as yeah. quickly as somebody can come in and do something yeah. new so and i think part of it is what you said at the beginning is that like you know it is an experiment right and so the stakes are low the you know the expectations are low yeah we were really lucky um it was truly something we were passionate about doing um, and loved the people I met. But it was so th- – making it into a business was not at the forefront of my mind. So we got to make all decisions based on on, on what do we want to do, what did we think was cool, what do we think the audience would respond to as mm-hmm. opposed to how could we include the audience as opposed to somebody else who has to come in and think about you know making a presentation to their board of directors in three months. Right. And having that freedom yeah. – let you make choices from a very, very different place. And I think it was a huge advantage to us. So how do you keep that? Like, obviously, now it's a business. I've met some of your business team. And, and you know, I know you're talking to brands and you're building this media empire. And, you know, how do you – are you able to keep that sense of of experimentation and – I mean, it's a conversation we have a lot, and and it's challenging in one way, and it's not in another. One of the advantages that I think we have and will continue to have is we are a crowdsourced, crowd-curated media company. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, all we have to remember to do is one thing, get out of the way of the crowd. And as long as we keep that in mind, they'll dictate to us what the content is, what they want to see more of, the tone of the content in a lot of ways. Arsic is a brand, and it certainly has a voice, and we sort of we say we like to trim around the edges to make sure that we stay true to that voice. Mm-hmm. But the rest, the crowd is really in control of. And, and for that reason, it makes it easy to not have to make those some of those tough decisions of like, are we being true to the brand? Right. As long as we do our job and stay out of the way, we don't have to think too much about those other things. And then the other thing I think it's like really important anytime you're in a position of trying to grow a business is to think about who your partners are. Right. And we're incredibly lucky in that the people that we've been working with and the and the people who've come on board to be our investors understand what we're trying to build and are really, really supportive of that. Mm-hmm. And they're not pressuring us to start to, you know, conform to what a traditional media company might look like. In fact, I think they're, what they're hoping for and looking for from us is the opposite. Mm-hmm. They want us to be disruptive and they want us to think about new ways of approaching old problems. So, you know, that's really interesting. There, there's this, there's, there's sort of like two things in business that I see, you know, and one is the, you know, is the YouTube model, right? It's this crowd-driven experience. 
And the other I would call like the Steve Jobs approach, which, you know, he's famous for saying like people don't know what they want until you give it to them, right? And and I think Facebook is a is a good example of that, right? Like they're in charge of the experience that their users have. And um, you know, it's very authoritative. And uh so why is is your way the right way? Well, for us, I think I think the key to to what you just said is like there's been sort of an old school way of doing things in which sort of there was the man or the mm-hmm. company that very much drove the experience or there were these tools provided to people to do whatever they wanted with. And we think that we're sort of bridging those two things in that, yes, the crowd can still submit anything that they want. There is an added layer of a brand voice, which mm-hmm. is why we do still produce some of our own content because we like to kind of continue to put a stake in the ground and establish like this is sort of what arsenic is. This is the tone. This is the vibe. This is kind of the area we want to play in. And then I think the curation is really the, the key mm-hmm. that on YouTube, anybody can put on any anything up, but there's not currently a great way for people to sort of, you know, vote things up or down within a vertical. Right. And so for that reason, I sometimes say like too much of anything is as good as having nothing mm-hmm. that when you can't you can't parse through millions and millions of videos on your own to find that one gem. And so what Arsic is trying to do is provide both a place and a platform for for creators to put their work, but also the creators and the audience that 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 want to view that work can also help filter up the mm-hmm. really the really great pieces so that you can come in and find something fantastic right away. Right. So how, what about for you? How does, you know, you said this sort of came out of needing a creative outlet. Um, and, you know, now you're uh, chief operating officer and you're right here, presumably involved in managing a company and a staff and, and all that. And so how do you keep it fun and, and sort of relevant for w- what you want? You know, um, my creative outlet has always been working close to and helping facilitate the vision of other okay. creatives. I've never been somebody who wanted to actually paint the picture or, or direct the movie mm. or write the movie. I loved putting together creative putting people and putting together really great teams mm-hmm. and helping hear what somebody wanted to do where, and make that happen. Where does that come from? What? Why is that your talent and, and how did you develop that? Oh, wow. Um, I think my parents would tell you that that I was born. I was potentially born with it. I probably okay. came out of the womb as a fairly bossy little child. Nice. <laughs> um, so, so I I don't know that I that it was something that I learned or even developed. I think I was absolutely always this way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I got I talked my way on my first movie set when I was eighteen years old, and that was sort of the first time I sat back and realized that oh, there's a place for people who like creative things and love art and like creativity but aren't necessarily somebody who is necessarily the visionary mm-hmm. but but is great at kind of helping motivate and put everybody together and figure out how you get from A to B. Yeah. Um, and I'd never had an experience like that. I, I had done some theater and so I was slightly familiar with like a theater structure but on a film, you know, when you really see somebody sort of rally 200 people toward a specific goal, but still see all this creativity swirling around this very, like, organized structure, mm-hmm. um, there are not a lot of things that it's analogous to. And, and that was sort of like this light bulb went off for me. And I was like, this is, this is the spot. Like, I could, I could be very happy here, but also, I think, do well in this space. Mm-hmm. And so um, I set out to to really build a to build a film career and work toward being a producer and and accomplished that and had a great time doing it and was not looking to get out 
what arsenic has allowed me to do is that exact thing, but every day with more people. Yeah. Um, I would be lucky if I could produce one or two things in 18 months as a film producer. And with arsenic, every day I could help somebody um, facilitate a vision or have their work, you know, shared with other people. And that's a, it's a really exciting thing for me. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so let's talk about the crowd a little bit. I know <clears throat> you you know you've mentioned kind of how that's so central. And, you know, I've saw some of the stuff you do with the Arsenic House, which I'll be uh, looking for my invitation. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and uh, and uh, there's a staff meeting, that focus group staff meeting that maybe people can attend. Yes. So um, it's not it's not set in to- stone as to when we do it, but we try to do it at least once a month. Okay. And we have a uh, lunchtime staff meeting and we serve pizza, which is important because yes. before Arsenic was officially a company, which was just a year ago, June. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody who worked at Arsenic was a volunteer, but the one thing we always did was feed people, and because it was all out of pocket, you know, pizza's cheap. Yeah. So we joked that we were the crowd built on pizza. Mm-hmm. So to the, so sort of as a nod back to that, we will always serve pizza at our staff meetings. Cool. Um, so we have our regular uh, staff attend this meeting. We invite in the contributors, um, and creators that we work with a lot, like a lot of the models and photographers mm-hmm. and people that are a big part of our community. But then we always try to open it up and invite some people in that are just audience because we like to know kind of what they think. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Et cetera. Yeah. And then we use some sort of streaming service so that even if you're not in L.A. and you can't be present, you can still watch. And somebody from my team sort of is watching their comments and their feedback mm-hmm. and their questions, and she represents those people. And then she'll ask some of their questions and things like that. And the idea is just, again... We believe that we are just our our job is to facilitate what they want, and so in order to do that, we have to hear from them, mm-hmm. um, and we do that through the staff meeting as well as other ways. We also try to ask a lot of questions on Instagram. We get mm-hmm. on our Snapchat almost every day and ask the audience a question and do yeah. feedback for like thirty minutes and just hear what people are looking for and what they're not liking and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, you know, I I don't. I'm curious what. You know that sounds so obvious that that you should do that as as a company, right? But yet, so few companies do that, and so and especially in publishing, I think you know there's a very top down, you know the 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 channel, whether it's a magazine or whatever, is created in the image of the the editor in chief or the publisher or the. It's something we we talk about inverting that like pyramid a lot yeah. because the old structure is very much built in the image of the, of the editor. Oftentimes, you know, that person started out, I mean, they are they are a diehard for whatever publication, which I have nothing but respect for to give your entire career to something. Mm-hmm. They started out very young in a mailroom or a newsroom on some on a desk, and then they worked their way up. But by the time they reach that position, in a lot of ways, they can sometimes be out of touch with the with the very readers that they're trying to serve. Yeah. And, and I think that's why it's really, really important to constantly ask your audience and ask your the people that you are working with and working for what they want. Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, we would stick a, the reader survey in the in the magazine once a year. And, you know, I remember even then just feeling like this is so, we're just scratching the surface to understand people. And um, so, so, you know, give me some lessons that publishers should be learning from you. Oh, wow. That's a tough question. Um, 
I don't know that I'm in a, I don't know that we're in a position, what we're doing is so different. I don't know that I'm actually in a position to give anybody an advice, especially okay. an old school publisher. Um, they face <clears throat> such huge challenges that we're so lucky not to. You know, you hear all yeah. the time about when the price of diesel goes up two cents, it can literally make or break a, you know, a print media company. Yeah. I can't imagine living in that, in a world with those kind of, you know, margins. Um, you know, as far as, you know, the things that we really, really believe is, you know, we believe in democratizing content. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think I would say to anybody in a position to be creating content um, that that the time has come that people should have a voice and in, in, in demand a voice in, in any content that, that they're consuming. Mm -hmm. And that we should all take a step back and think about, you know, why sort of tradition was that somebody knew best and how we can challenge that idea mm -hmm. and allow people to kind of have an easy, direct way of saying what they want and then make decisions based on it. And and you see other people. I mean, you know, Amazon puts their pilots on Amazon for people to vote on. Right. Um, there's more and more of that happening, you know, all the time where people are being a part of the process. And I think that overall, a lot of people are going to start shifting to that model. Uh, I, think the, I think the crowd will demand it. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious about that and, and how well this thinking, like, you know, you have such great business lessons, but, you know, at, in some ways that's overshadowed by the beautiful women on the site or on the channels, right? Like, and so, you know, maybe this isn't a fair question, but, you know, how well does all this stuff work with different types of content that aren't maybe as inherently appealing? You know, I th I think it works with any kind of content. I don't. I certainly understand that that the sometimes the message gets gets lost in the in the visuals, right. um, and I'm okay with that. I want we certainly want the message to get out there, but we want people to enjoy the content first and foremost. And yeah. and and we're not there to preach to anybody. Mm -hmm. It should be it should be fun, and people should be able to come and and enjoy a few minutes of something different than what they're seeing every day. Mm -hmm. Um. We've tried a similar model. Um, we were just in the early, early stages of what I would call like beta testing um, a new vertical for us, uh, a music channel oh, cool. that sits primarily on Snapchat. And we call for our, uh, our audience to submit music to us. And then right now we don't have the tech to, to serve and share all of it. Mm -hmm. but, so we'll narrow it down to maybe 15 choices. And we'll play those 15 choices in short clips on our Snapchat and allow the audience to vote with, on which ones they like best just by screenshotting the mm -hmm. different songs. And then we'll take whatever one and, and play that, that person's music on you know, our regular Arsenic TV Snapchat for the day. And we've seen great results with that. So I certainly think, um, just as one example, that you can take the idea of crowdsourcing the content and crowd curating the content outside of the vertical mm -hmm. that we're currently sitting in um, and try it with other verticals and see and, and, and have had really good results. There's a lot of really creative people out there who are who are really excited and looking for a place to showcase their work and and people love discovering new artists. Absolutely. Um, and in any paradigm. So I think that you can I think it'll absolutely work as we expand things. Hey check it out Rebel Radio is brought to you by Wix.com do you need a website? No, let me tell you, you do need a website, and you can do it yourself with Wix.com. No matter what business you're in, if you got a startup, your music career, your uh, earwax collection, I don't know what you're doing. Whatever it is, you need a website. And Wix is used by more than 84 million people worldwide. It makes it easy to get your website live today. You can spend time on your business. Don't spend time building your website. There's hundreds of designer-made templates to choose from. 
use the drag and drop editor. You drop in your images, your videos, your copy. And next thing you know, you have a beautiful website that you built yourself. It's fast. It's easy. It's free. We did it with rebelradio.net. Check it out. And you can see the amazing work you can do with Wix.com. You're too busy with everything else. Stop worrying about your website. Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com. Create your own website today. Send it to us and we will promote it online. All right. And so what about, um, so the, the, the model is, is advertiser supported, right? For the most part. I would say we're actually right now, I think it's, um, community supported in that it's a lot of still, you know, working for, um, the greater good. Mm -hmm. We say a lot of what happens at our sick is for peace and love, Mm -hmm. uh, but not money. Um, and, and certainly, um, you know, we've been fortunate to, uh, have some great investors come on board. We are playing with and starting to get into what will ultimately be an ad-supported model. But I would say we're pre-rev for any, you know, Mm -hmm. real business purpose. But the goal, I mean, the the vision is that The goal is is to be a profitable business um, that is ad-supported through um, a variety of ways. But, you know, we're also big believers in user-generated content and um, sponsored content more than traditional advertising and banner ads and things like that. Yeah. And so, you know... Walk me through, like, you know, how do you choose what brands will the community will accept? You know, are they going to, is the crowd going to accept anything that you let in? Or, you know, how do you, how do you curate that we, experience? I mean, I mean, I guess ultimately it remains to be seen. We are really thoughtful about uh, finding brands to work with that we believe fit really well with our audience, that our audience is going to respond to, mm-hmm. that the call to ash action or the ask, if you will, is something that the audience, you know, would want mm-hmm. um, and be excited about. And and so whether it's an app that we're working with, we think about is this an app or a tool that our audience would want to use no matter what? Mm-hmm. Or is this a clothing company that are there's an affinity for this type of clothing with our audience? Right. Um, because of how, especially right now, we're not, we don't have our own any of our own tech. So everything we're doing is sitting on top of other social media platforms, which means the best way we can work with an advertiser is to integrate something very organically into what we're doing. And so that's the question. Can we integrate this organically into what we're doing? And if right. we can, chances are it is right for our audience. And if we can't, and we're trying to put a screw pig in our own hole, then it's probably not the right brand for us to work for. And we're maybe not the right platform at that time, at this sure. time for the brand to work for. And so if you have, what have been some brand integrations? Um, so we've had, we've done some really cool things. Um, we got to be part of, um, there's a, there's an app called Backstage mm-hmm. that is a platform for music artists yeah. to interact with their audience. And also they can sell swag and tickets and things like that. And they were doing um, a contest with the Chainsmokers, which our audience loves Um, and so we were able to collaborate with them on the contest and offer somebody from the arsenic they were offering somebody from their community to win a trip with the chain smokers and get oh, to cool. go to the Belmont and then fly with the chain smokers to Vegas and open this club. They gave us an opportunity to be able to send an arsenic girl um, and so we got to create this whole campaign in which we asked people to go and enter the the contest so that they could win mm-hmm. on the backstage platform, but also like one of whoever helped get the most you know people on board from the Arsenic Girls also got to go, mm-hmm. and so it just felt it felt like it was part of our community. They like the Chainsmokers, they like um, you know music. It just it just fit in really well, and yeah. while 
it was a partnership, it was the kind of thing we would have done on any, any day anyway, just because we thought it was cool. Well, let's not tell them that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. they got to pay for it. <laughs> but but those are the things no, we look for. It. We want you know we want to find things that that fit in so well that I mean, you may not be sure was right. that paid or or not. And yeah. you know if we can walk away and people are asking that question, we did our job. Mm-hmm. What um, what hasn't worked? The, I don't have a specific example off the top of my head, but the square peg round hole thing. We've we've started down some paths of trying to work with people with work with an idea or something that just didn't fit into sort of the social media, you know, platforms that we work with. Mm-hmm. And and you quickly discover you you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Right. And and um, We've been fortunate in that when we started to see ourselves going down that path, it was sort of so evident that it wasn't going to work. It was easy to pull back before we got too far. Yeah. But um. But some things work really well, and there are just some there are some things that just don't, yeah. and and you have to re- you have to recognize that. Yeah. You know, and and I think the the other thing that we've learned is like you know it's it's easy to get to break to break the rule and mm-hmm. not remember that you know at the end of the day it's it's about what the crowd wants and it's easy to get caught up in an idea um and and start putting too much of yourself into it and not take a step back and be like hold on like let's put this out there and and see what and and, and ask the question and see what people think and is this something that they want yeah yeah that makes sense and so what about um you know your you know every publisher has is somewhat beholden now to these social networks or these you know whether it's Google's algorithm or right there's uh, uh, it's not entirely different from you know having to get on the newsstands as a, as a print publication right or having to get on the cable box but um, but the changes happen much faster right and so for all the brands that invested heavily in MySpace you know how's that investment looking right now or um, you know and publishers get the rug pulled out from them by Facebook pretty regularly uh, so. What do you guys do to prepare yourselves? I mean, presumably you have to imagine that the, the relationship to Snapchat, either from you to Snapchat or from Snapchat to, to the audience, will continue to evolve, and same with Instagram. And so how do you, how do you, how do you operate in that environment? Uh, um, <laughs> carefully. <laughs> uh, we think a lot about it, and, yeah. and I, don't, I don't have a crystal ball, and I certainly don't have all the answers. Um, for us, you know, I think it's diversifying platforms. So, so we have a, a, a good audience on Instagram and a great audience on Snapchat. And we're starting to think about like, what is the third platform that we want to look at being at, mm-hmm. uh, excuse me, or on, and how can we, you know, bring value to our audience on that platform? Um, I think it's, we're lucky in that, you know, a lot of these social media companies have a presence in Los Angeles. So it's, trying to create and always keep a two-way conversation going with them yeah. um, and look at them as a partner and, and sort of part of the, the process. Um, and we've been really fortunate in that regard um, in, in, in an informal way, but just, you know, we've had great conversations and, and very supportive mm-hmm. conversations, which is awesome on any of the platforms we're on. Um, it's, and I think it's also about, um, you know, remembering that you're all in it together and you're all trying to serve an audience. And as long as you're creating great content that the audience really likes, that you can sort of continue, I think, to find your way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that's important. And then, you know, the other thing to be truthful is right now, 
only recently did Instagram, you know, institute an algorithm and Snapchat mm -hmm. currently does not. And so while we think about it a lot, we're not a company to date that's had to think a lot about those pieces right. as a day-to-day -day part of our life. We've been thinking about like what's going to happen when. Mm -hmm. And and one thing that we we do know is that at different times we've tried different platforms like out of the I guess it was the 2015 South by Southwest Meerkat was like a really really right. talked about thing and so we yeah. thought we would try out Meerkat. And in 5 days of using Meerkat, at that time they had a leaderboard. You could see where you stood. Arsenic was in the top 10 in the world. Mm -hmm. And in the top 100 in the world, there were 15 uh, people that were basically what I would call arsenic influencers. They were the people that we work with who help us create our content, right. who started creating content on Meerkat and quickly also started growing that. And we brought, you know, obviously a big audience with us. Um, and we saw that when we started going even from Instagram to Snapchat, how quickly we were able to sort of migrate our current audience and then grow from there. And so I think the other thing to remember is that there's always going to be new things to try. But mm -hmm. we've been really fortunate in being able to have um, a very portable audience. Mm -hmm. And as long as we keep uh, sort of creating cool content wherever, they'll kind of, you know, go along with us. Yeah, that's big. Tell me about the uh, arsenic influencers. Uh, we love our influencers. Um, so, so there's there's more than people realize in the sense that obviously most of the people that you see on camera are women, mm -hmm. um, many of whom who've been we with us. We appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I love my I love our girls, and they've been a lot of them have been with uh, us since. I mean, you know, the second shoot when there was no Instagram. Yeah. Um, so they've really, really been in this with us, and and we have a lot of affinity and loyalty and I would do anything for those girls. Um, but we also have a lot of photographers and videographers and people like that, some of whom, you know, pop up here and there on, on our channels and certainly get tagged a lot, but mm -hmm. I, they don't necessarily get as much, you know, FaceTime. Right. Um, and, you know, it's an important community. And, and that's exactly what it is. We don't have, you know, we, I don't have a business relationship with these people, but it's, it's a community and everybody helps each other out and everyone um, has sort of grown their social media with each other, mm -hmm. and and for that reason, uh, I think that there's a lot of loyalty and a lot of uh, stickiness, mm -hmm. and it's it's a good group, and sort of. And then there's a group, sort of, I would call beyond that, that are people we love to work with, but for whatever reason, maybe we only get to work with once every few months. Uh, but same thing, um, it's all sort of very much about people creating content that they want to create and having a lot of freedom to do it, and the support of Arsenic to help facilitate that, mm -hmm. and. Um, you know, with that, we bring a very strong viewership, which I think is beneficial to these artists. And so for that reason, the ecosystem just kind of keeps going in just a really positive way. It's cool. And, and so what is, how would you describe your relationship to the girls? We call it a family. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's kind of like that. And I mean, my family's Maltese. We're like loud and, you know, Dinner is a is a you know get your earplugs kind of event, and that's kind yeah. of what it's like. Um, everybody kind of comes in and out of there, especially the the core group. Everyone right. sort of floats in and out of the arsenic house. Um, you know, the doors never lock. They let themselves in. They mm -hmm. come and they hang. They shoot. They might stay for dinner. They might not. Um, but it's super familial. Everyone's kind of texting each other all the time, checking in, what's going on. Some people we see once a week. Some people we might not see for a couple weeks, but. If you popped your head up and said, hey, what's Caitlin O'Connor doing today? Chances are somebody in the office has a pretty good idea just from, from yeah. communication, kind of like you would with your family. Right. So, uh, you know, it feels a lot like that. It feels like a bunch of cousins, like all, you know, crammed in together with, you know, a mom and dad. I won't say who's who. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. So, so how do you, um, uh, you know, I've, looking from the outside, you're sort of like... Uh, 
you're sort of I would you're sort of a semi public figure. Like, you know, obviously you're in all the, the business interviews. That's new. Yes. Uh, you know, for the longest time, no one had any any idea who was behind arsenic. Yeah. Um, so was that a conscious choice? It was. Yeah. Um, it, I, I, Billy and I both very much wanted to make it be about the creators mm-hmm. and about the community and not about us. Um, and struggled with the decision of finally doing any press and actually putting ourselves out there at all. But as we looked at going the business and... Sure. And wanting yeah, to investors want to know people people want to know sort of who's behind it, um, right. which is kind of fun when people I don't, I don't know what people thought, but they certainly weren't expecting Billy and I. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think they were. I think a lot of people were surprised. But yeah. and so how does that feel for you? Is that I mean, it's it's fun to watch arsenic grow, and uh-huh. I love that. Um, yeah. I've never done. In, a whole lot of press or anything prior to arsenic so so navigating that world is is certainly new it's a little scary um i've had nothing but really good experiences so far but you know anybody who reads press occasionally will see somebody you know clearly uh have have something go not the way they were thinking and so you're constantly sort of thinking about like is this the right thing to do um, we spend a lot of time thinking about what's the too much, like how much is it the right amount to put arsenic out there and introduce arsenic to new people. Mm-hmm. But when is it too much? Because it's not meant to be about us. It's meant to right. be about the the creators and things like that. And so what's that balance? Yeah. Interesting. What do you think? What sacrifices do you think you've made to do this? It's, that's a hard question to answer because I'm having so much fun and I like what I'm doing so much that, that there's no question I'd rather do this than anything else. There are I, I used to I used to play polo and I don't get to you know I choose not to play polo right now because it's not something right. that you can you can do you can't do that in a in a small way safely. Sure. So um, I'm currently not doing that. Um, I see I travel home to Texas and see my family less mm-hmm. though. It's so easy to communicate with people now. I'm I'm in touch with them as much as I ever right. was. So there's things like that that I guess I've, on a technical sense, I've sacrificed. But but there's nothing that I feel like I'm giving up in a way that 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 I think well if this doesn't work or or anything like that. I did you give up? You, you were you were racing. I was car racing. Yeah. yeah, not I haven't I haven't raced cars in in a minute. Um, and arguably I get I that's among the things that I sort of you know put on hold. Yeah. Um. So I saw you. You drove the gumball. I did. I did. That was a minute ago, but um, yeah. but that was that was a lot of fun. Um, so, uh, but yeah, but but you know, but that I'm. It's still in and around stuff like that is so in and around arsenic that I don't even feel like I gave it up. I guess yeah. I'm not driving anymore. But right. um, we're often talking to similar kind of rallies and things like that about a collaboration. So I feel like, in an interesting way, a lot of what I did is already starting to come back into arsenic mm-hmm. organically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so tell me about the goal. How do, where, where's this going, and and when will you feel like you've made it? The the mission is to democratize content. So okay. I guess we will have made it. Is that ever done? <laughs> I don't think so. So that's right. really when you ask the question, it's a hard thing to answer because I don't think, I don't think you can ever be finished with with a company like Arsenic. I think there will always be something new to, to try and some new area or vertical that we want to bring that idea to. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, you know, we we have a lot of uh, ideas about where we want to go and, and other kind of content and things like that that we want to bring into Arsenic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so so it's, it's heading into being a much more sort of 360 
uh, new gen media company. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when I'll look up and be like, I, I don't think I'll ever look up and be like, we're done. I, I, I don't I don't think that's cool. how I think about things. And I know that's not how my partner thinks about things. So it's sort of always yeah. like there's the next uh, horizon that we have to hit. And do you have the sense that the the model in terms of your relationship to the talent and the community, like, will that scale I think it'll absolutely. I think it will absolutely scale. I think it'll look a little different. Yeah. Um, I think we'll get into additional verticals and a greater scale. And and as we start having things that are more you know tech enabled, I might not be able to. I might not have on speed dial every single creator. Sure. But I still think, will we feel like we have a relationship with our audience? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We'll constantly be asking them questions, and there will always be a two way conversation. Will we seek out the creators, especially the ones that the audience really likes, to make sure that we have sort of an added dialogue to those people? For sure. I think technology makes it easy to scale relationships now even. Mm -hmm. Um, You can quickly, you know, have a quick text check-in with somebody and things like that without it being, um, you know, too much time. And so I think you can build relationships like that. And I think it's important to us to do so. Um, even as we grow, we don't want to get away from this idea that it's at its core, it's really a family. It's a community. And mm-hmm. I think Arsenic will always be a community. And has, has anything happened that's sort of like, have you had to question that belief or those values? We've never had to question the values. You know, the thing for me as a woman that, that kind of gets called into question a lot is this idea of, well, wait, hold on. You say you're doing, you started all this because you wanted to give women a voice and, you know, all that I see on your Snapchat is a bunch of women being very sexy. How can you how can you say that you're you're helping women or that's female Don't all empowerment? women just want to be sexy? A lot of women do want to be sexy, and the okay. women that are on Arsenic want to be sexy. That's that's why they're part of Arsenic. Yeah. Um, and the thing that a lot of people don't know is that like when we do a takeover on Arsenic TV and we literally hand off the Snapchat to somebody, I only hand it off to women. So anything you're seeing is completely driven by their choices. And it's a really conscious choice of ours to, to do it that way so that no one is ever put in a position where they might be asked to do something that they're not comfortable with, that they get to be in the driver's seat at all times. Right. Uh, but I think it's it's definitely made me question kind of why society has this idea that, that if a woman wants to be sexy, there's something else happening mm. underneath that they can't just be feeling good or sexy or beautiful about themselves why it's okay for a woman to be sexy to sell a product, but if she's being right. sexy to build her own brand, that's no longer okay, yeah. which is fascinating to me because if you're doing a commercial for a brand, that's a potential, you know, that's a one-off situation. If you're building your own brand, you can now take that into any number of things and actually build yourself your own sort of business off of it, but mm-hmm. we're not okay with that for some right. reason. Um, so those things I spent a lot of time really starting to question and looking myself in the mirror and, and, and like, am I, you know, do I really, do I stand for this and do I believe this? And I absolutely do, but yeah. there's... You, I've been challenged enough and challenged in sort of enough high-level situations that you, there's no question that you have to take a step back and think about. And I, and I imagine those questions come to you and not Billy. No question, right. um, which is fair. Um, and I and I expect them. And now I actually welcome them yeah. um, because I think it's a I think it's time that we start having this conversation. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm excited that I get to be a little tiny piece of it. Yeah. It was such a no-brainer for me that I guess naively I I wasn't anticipating it until it started and. I'm a little more prepared now. Interesting. Um, so talk about the relationship between you and Billy and you know, how did you know he was the right partner and how do you continue to make that partnership work? 
I am probably the the luckiest person who has a business partner in that my partner constantly thinks about um, how to keep our partnership strong and mm. and a really sort of fluid back and forth and that both people are you know are, are being served and I don't know that a lot of people can say that their partner spends as much time thinking about them as they do themselves but yeah. I, I have that and it's a wonderful thing to have so did you know that did you know that going in I I'm, I did. Yeah. Billy and I, so before Billy and I ever had the first conversation about arsenic, we had been friends for almost 10 years. Mm. Um, and I, he knows most of my friends. I know um, most of his friends mm-hmm. and friends that he's been friends with since he was a kid and, and vice versa. Cool. And now we know each other's family. And so when you sort of have that much of a background, at the end of the day, I think you know exactly who you're um, dealing with as far as, you know, as a core person. And so, of course, you get in conversations and you don't necessarily see every single decision eye to eye. But when you know sort of what the person is really about, mm-hmm. figuring out the the business stuff is, is actually relatively easy. Sure. Um, and, and I also had the good fortune of Billy was a very successful agent in the film business. And even just reputationally, um, he was, you know, one of those guys who people knew would keep his word no matter what, even mm-hmm. if it ended up being not as good for his career mm-hmm. if he said he was going to do something yeah. he always did it and and i knew that both from my experiences but also anecdotally and and how would he describe you as a partner uh he would say um <laughs> he would say she's not bossy she's the boss <laughs> um, um uh, i think he would say that um i am tenacious uh-huh. he often says that uh i am extremely hardworking. Um, he knew I was hardworking going in, but he's, I think, um, often very kindly points out that, you know, I will I will work until the work is done and the work is never done, mm-hmm. um, which is great. Uh, I think he'd probably say that I'm stubborn, mm-hmm. I'm loud, um, I, you know, I, and then I guess the rest you'd have to ask him. Yeah. What about if I was on your team at Arsenic, what, what would I hear you say over and over? Um... It's not about us. It's about the audience. Um, the crowd is the company. Yeah. Uh, we we talk about those two things a lot, and to yeah. the point that anybody who works with us is probably tired of hearing it. Um, if if you you I work with a lot of really amazing young women, mm-hmm. um, and so they hear me talk a lot about um, sort of demanding a seat at the table mm-hmm. and not hanging back and and coming in and. And speaking up for what they want, but also following through, um, that it's not enough just to to say that you want to do something and have an opinion and raise your hand, which I think women struggle with as, in general. But in order to make it better for the next generation, we also have to make sure that when we do those things that we see them through all the way. Yeah. Um, and so I think you would probably also know that there would be some version of that coming out of my mouth on a daily basis. Cool. Um, so as we move toward our lightning round, I want to I'm going to borrow a couple of questions from the Arsenic blog. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, what do you know for sure? I know at the end of the day, you've only got yourself and your family. That's good. Uh, so if you could give an 18, your 18-year-old self a piece of advice, what would you say to her? Stop worrying so much and just go for it. Um, what's the last great book you read? I Want My MTV. Oh, cool. Do you have a favorite band or DJ? 
Well, I'm old school, and so, and this is an often debated topic at the Arsenic House, but um, my favorite will always be the Rolling Stones. Okay. I'm sorry, Billy. I know you like the Beatles. <laughs> Billy also likes a lot of uh, hip hop and EDM, um, but, but we, have a Be- we have a Beatles Rolling Stone ongoing debate. Uh, and then I'm also, I've become, you know, we listen to a lot of EDM and we've worked with a lot of people and I've become a bit of a Diplo fan. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, cool. I appreciate you doing this with us. Thank this you. Was awesome. This was fun and totally painless. Yeah, so. no, this is great. <laughs> I appreciate your, your generosity with all oh, of your wisdom. Thank, this was awesome. Thank you stuff. so much. Um, I'm sure everyone knows how to find Arsenic, but but tell us just in case. Uh, well, on Snapchat, it's Arsenic TV, and uh, on Instagram, it's Arsenic Magazine. Very cool. Amanda, thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, I hope I got you all hot and bothered listening to that interview with Amanda. She was great, super smart, lots of good stuff there for you to learn from. Uh, Come back next week. We got more Rebel Radio goodness. And in the meantime, hit us on Twitter at Rebel Radio Net. Find us on Facebook. Check out the website, rebelradio.net, built with Wix.com, one of our loving sponsors here at Rebel Radio. And uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Peace.